Hello there, and welcome back to another episode of Holistic Healing with Lori. I am your host, Lori Rivers, and today we're revisiting an enlightening conversation from last year's Long COVID and MECFS Holistic Healing Summit that I have each year. And this guest is Sally Norton. She is a renowned nutritionist and the author of the book, Toxic Superfoods, which is really fascinating. So in this excerpt from our interview, Sally shares everything that you need to know about oxalates, and that's her speciality. And these are fascinating anti-nutrients that are found in lots of vegetables that we've been taught are super healthy. Sally, thank you so much for being here with us. Like I said, I've really been looking forward to this. Great. It's fun. Thank you for having me. It's really wonderful to meet anybody who wants to talk about oxalates. Yes, because I know that it's uh, not super well known about. And once I started delving into it, I was just, my mind was blown. Now we're going to get into the specifics of oxalate and what's in your book, Toxic Superfoods, in a bit. But I always like to start with you telling us about your own story. So how and why did you become interested in nutrition and then specifically in oxalate? Yeah, so I was already coming home from kindergarten telling my mom whatever we learned about how we were supposed to eat. There was a certain number of glasses of milk you're supposed to have. I remember telling my mom about how important this was. And she's with five kids. You got to be kidding. You're not good. So I was already into it early. And it was seventh grade when I realized through a science teacher, and we used to have these things called film strips, the way you learn from that they were the film strip said that if you eat all these hot dogs and processed foods, you'll get cancer. And if you eat off this broccoli and stuff, you won't. And I thought, wow, cool. If what to do, you can avoid cancer, heart disease, and just have a happy, productive life. That sounds good. That sounds like something I'd like to help others have. So I decided to be a health promotion person already in seventh grade without having that terminology. But I think my interest in health and nutrition probably stems from the fact that, A, I love food. I was a non-picky eater. I love my vegetables. I love my colors. I love my whatever. It's food. I'll eat it. Except I'd fill up on the real stuff and then skip ice cream and go out and play. Except for, wow. Yeah. (laughs) So that wasn't so good at the dinner table because the other kids were like, Sally will eat it. (laughs) Let's see. So that didn't make me popular at all. But I think it comes from the fact that as a kid, apparently my sister and I were constantly having strep infections and these things. I was uh, banned from the swimming pool for swimmer's ear. They were giving me this liquid penicillin, which is the most nasty, vile tasting stuff. And by the time I was five, they took the tonsils tonsils out. So between all the eardrops and being banned from the pool and the the penicillin, like I was really interested in not being sick. I learned early that your health matters a lot and you all the fun in life will evaporate if you're sick. And that should be obvious, but apparently it's not, but it was to me. So I've been interested in nutrition, health promotion, and prevention of illness and protecting children and all these things and protecting the elderly, allowing them to age well, successfully, be active, independent, live in their homes, not be locked away. And I knew nothing about the oxalates, despite my degree in nutrition. By 10th grade, I knew I wanted to go to Cornell because it was a very good, probably one of the best nutrition schools in reputation anyway on the East Coast. And in my home state where I could get a deal for tuition. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So that was okay. And, but I was having problems in college again. 
health problems were interfering with my college experience. I was having foot problems. I needed a parking pass because I could no longer walk to class. And I ended up dropping out for foot surgery for four years. I didn't recover well from the foot surgery. So I'm back. I'm still on painkillers, still needing a parking pass and still needing to swim. I developed a swimming habit to try to help my feet. And my feet were really, I eventually got them better enough that I didn't need orthotics anymore and painkillers, but I never really had great feet until just about the time I turned 50, which was five months after I got on a low oxide diet in a good, serious way. Now my feet are better. And before that, I was disabled at, I don't know, 46 or something. I had to leave my career doing grant writing and public health and have a hysterectomy. And I didn't recover well from that. And it turned out I had a sleep disorder where my brain was waking up 29 times an hour. And I thought I had SIBO and it, that was that intoxication oh, causing the brain toxicity that was causing the sleep problem. So I was trying to address the SIBO and sleep problems so I could have a life again. I could not exercise. I could barely read the mail, let alone work. And uh, when I went on a low oxide diet for my arthritis, which was getting terrible again, I had terrible arthritis in my 20s. I had chronic fatigue basically since I was a teenager. I had been dragging my butt through life for my whole life. And when I went on this low oxide diet for my arthritis, I resented having to do it because I have this sleep problem I'm trying to fix. And I don't need more problems to deal with. And it fixed the sleep problem. And it fixed this and that. And then suddenly I'm wearing heels at a wedding for seven hours. I'm like, who is this person? Wow. And it's, wow, this, it could do I was like, just the circuits were gone. I like blowing out in my head. <laughs> yeah. And I just needed, I was like, wow, if I couldn't figure this out with an Ivy League degree in nutrition, a public health career, I worked in integrative medicine. I worked with all the holistic healing principles as a, you know, educating conventional people about these technologies. And yet I couldn't find help in my network of doctors, holistic healers. No one could help me. And here I am sitting with this public health degree and nutrition degree, uh, surrounded by resources for healthcare of all stripes, and no one could help me. And I was like, how is anyone who's getting themselves in trouble with chard, spinach, almonds, sweet potatoes, peanuts, chocolate, pomegranate, how are they going to figure out that's the thing that's messing up X, Y, Z? Yeah. So I was like, wow, I've got to do a little outreach and learn about more of this and see who it affects. There's got to be someone else out there like me. I was like, oh, I don't want to leave a sister or brother out there in my condition of spending yeah. my adulthood struggling with fatigue and pain and back problems and foot problems and disabilities that were mysterious. Was How defective could a person be born anyway? How bad could it be? It turned out the whole time it was my healthy, officially approved diet. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so many things happening in my head right now. Let's go first of all to the basics. What are oxalates? We keep talking about them. What the heck are they? Yeah. So we use the term oxalates plural because oxalic acid, which is the parent compound, can have many forms and it chelates metals and becomes salts and crystals. And so oxalates, there's a salt crystalline form of oxalic acid. 
that binds with calcium, magnesium, iron, copper, you name it. It can bind with toxic metals. It has either a, the oxalic acid has either one negative charge or two negative charges. So there's two chemical forms of oxalic acid. And then based on the charges and its environment, it will hook up with various types of minerals, sodium, potassium, lithium. Those are the soluble oxalates. And then there's the insoluble oxalates that don't break up back up apart. So things are either soluble or insoluble because when you put them in water, the crystalline form comes apart. So if you put sugar or you put salt in the glass of water and stir it, you don't see salt crystals for long because the little bonds between the two ions come apart. And so the soluble oxalate does that coming apart thing. And th that's really basically oxalic acid. Only when it's dehydrated does it form a crystal. But the soluble, the insoluble ones can form those crystals and not dissolve in the water. So even hydrated, they can stay gritty and crystalline. So this is a big problem because oxalic acid is made by plants as are calcium oxalate crystals deliberately built by plants as weaponry and self-defense and, and storage of calcium and the, all these purposes, the plants need it. Funguses in the soil build a lot of oxalate. And aspergillus makes oxalate. So aspergillus is something you can inhale and you can get an infection in your lungs and that can produce oxalate. And then even in the polluted air, there's oxalic acid in polluted air because some of the pollutants, when sunlight and moisture hit them, they turn into oxalic acid. You ever heard of acid rain? Oxalic acid is probably the predominant acid of all the 20 or 50 acids in acid rain. That's making acid rain. Yeah, so it's everywhere. It's a little compound. It's two carbons and four oxygens, oxidative. Two carbons, it's just really tiny. And so it easily and spontaneously creates itself even in pollution or air and the sea mist. And then plants and funguses deliberately make it. And they often make it by first making vitamin C, the plants do. And then it's vitamin C is easily degenerates into oxalate. So you have vitamin C sitting around. Or too much in your body. Yeah. Too. We're gonna talk, we're gonna talk about that in a bit because we're gonna ruffle some feathers there and blow some minds and things like that. Okay, so oxalate is is just in very, very simple terms, it's crystals, right? So how it becomes crystals. It's an acid. So you have to think of oxalates as plural and it's acid that becomes crystals. And so you gotta know both because the big crystals that plants make just it's like sandpaper. It's like glass. So think of it as microscopic glassy sand or, or quartz dust. That's what oxalate crystals are. And then the acid is something you can use to take the rust off your patio, clean the rust off your engine, polish your brass, because it does this chelation thing and has this oh, oxidative right. thing. It's also right. a bleach. Oxalic acid has long been used in industry to bleach fabrics, wood, leather. It's very corrosive. And so it's a great cleaner, but you wouldn't necessarily want to clean out your blood or your gut with this stuff. So le yeah, let's talk about that. How does it affect the body? I'm assuming that if it does all these cleaning and stripping and bleaching and all that stuff, yeah, how does it affect the body? Yeah, it, in many ways, in ways that aren't fully developed in science, like it's keeps, they keep discovering that it does all these things. And then we don't like create an NIH outfit for oxalate research. <laughs> so the most commonly recognized effect on the body is that it will cause kidney and urinary tract stress 
and in some people will cause kidney stones. But you can get this stoning, this building of calcium oxalate in the body, not just in kidney stones or bladder stones or urinary tract stones, but in the thyroid and the bones and the tendons and pretty much anywhere in the body. And the thing that makes the acid start grabbing minerals and becoming crystals in the body. So this is, okay, you're eating crystals. You don't absorb them. They're just rough sandpaper that's mucking up your cells. And they are in this rapide form, like in kiwis, little tiny blow darts that can penetrate two cells deep, which is quite meaningful because that's an injury to the tissue and the lining of the gut is only one cell deep. So you can eat crystals. If there's not a lot of mucus and other things protecting you, then the crystals will potentially puncture and turn on inflammation because that's damage, but it also creates an avenue and carries with it oxalic acid and that helps it get in. But it, it just floats the acid side, this little single ion molecule just floats in between the cells with the water. So it's dissolved in the water that you absorb from your food. The more watery your food, like almond milk and, and juices, that's more a watery form of the oxalic acid in the foods that are in there, the almonds, the almond butter, the turmeric, the cocoa powder, and the spinach and the chard and so on that people put in these foods easily float into the bloodstream. Here it is in the gut. Now it's entered. The blood from the gut goes straight to the liver, right? That's hepatic circulation. So now all the oxalate from your foods that have high oxalate go straight to the liver and flood this, all the cells in the liver because the liver's job is to clean up whatever's coming in from the gut and collect things and manage things. Very busy place. And the liver has to use a lot of its own glutathione to protect itself from the pro-oxidative and damaging effects of the oxalic acid. Oxalic acid is a great disturber of mitochondria and membranes. So it damages membranes, it damages the mitochondria. And so the cells have to put out a lot of glutathione and their own defenses against those effects. So you could potentially be draining your liver of its detox potential just by asking it to deal with the spinach smoothie every day and almond butter and peanut butter and French fries and chocolate. Yeah. The things and things we turn to for help, even turmeric is high in oxalate yeah. and pomegranate and kiwi and blackberries. But the, and then there's the non-gluten grains too, like buckwheat, quinoa, teff. And then there's the arrowroot and tapioca. These are pretty high in oxalate and bran. So if you're into whole wheat or whole bran or rice bran, or if you buy a protein powder with bran in it, there's oxalate there. So you could potentially be unintentionally eating a fairly poisonous substance in too great a quantity, more than your body really is equipped for and start stressing your liver. But then that blood that's now got that active oxalic acid, that engine cleaning substance goes straight from the liver, passes through the vein that brings it up to the heart. And then the heart chamber pumps that same blood to the lungs. And that same oxalate loaded blood comes back to the other side of the heart. And then the heart helps to circulate the blood throughout the body. And eventually the kidneys pick it up and take it out of the blood. The kidneys get rid of it as fast as they can. They're bailing hard, 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 trying hard. And the rest of the body, whoa, we can't have all this ugly here. And the rest of the body's helping bail it out of the blood. And here's the thing. When oxalic acid encounters an area where a cell is infected, inflamed, damaged, dying, so it's old, there's these little bits of materials from cells as they're dying. And those 
help cause this, what we call precipitation of the crystals. So where you have dead and dying, injured, inflamed, infected tissue, that's where the oxalate crystals start attaching to bits of materials and form these stones and crystals in our body. Goodness. Okay, so symptoms, I'm going to say, you told us about your story and with oxalate and some of the symptoms that you had. Once I became aware of oxalate, I realized that I was having some symptoms specifically from oxalate. I've never had joint pain before in my life. And what I started noticing was that because I had, I knew that I should not be eating chocolate for some reason because it, uh, I could tell that it was not doing great things to me. But after I ate chocolate for the next couple of days, my joints would hurt and my lungs would have issues. And again, this became worse after developing long COVID. And right. And I'm sure various other things, but another thing that I started to notice was that I would develop itchy bumps on my arms and legs. And usually I don't scratch them, but for some reason I scratched one one day and a a crystal came out of it. And now that I know about oxalates and I've heard about other people having that happen, my eyes would get really itchy, just all sorts of things. And that's even just aside from all of the chronic fatigue stuff and other things. So what are some of the other ways that oxalate shows up symptom-wise? Right. And you're describing a situation where you can see a connection while you're eating it. And usually if you can see the connection reacting to these foods, that's a bad sign. That's a sign. That's a sign you're really overloaded with oxalate and usually the body just adjusts and deals and it doesn't give you a lot of symptoms or or you just, it's so rare to connect these foods because so many of them are just so accepted as just essential stuff you do and good for you. And like you would never, I never suspected my sweet potatoes. (laughs) I was eating them every day. So that's very telling. If you see a response to the food directly like that, that your system is heavily overloaded with oxalate. And if you've been going on and off high oxalate foods and happen for a while to be eating more of the animal foods that don't have oxalate or the cabbage family that doesn't have oxalate or the curcubit family, which is your cucumbers and squashes and pickles and stuff like that, they don't have a lot of oxalate. So if you accidentally go in and out of a high oxalate diet, it only takes three to five days for the body on a no low oxalate diet where you're eating those foods that are low to start wanting to clean out your thyroid gland and your bones and your tendons. So that can increase the amount of oxalate in your bloodstream and then add chocolate to that situation where the body is releasing oxalate from the thyroid gland, let's say, in the shoulder or something or your skin. Now you're adding more oxalate to a situation where you've actually raised your oxalate level in your blood and urine because the body's trying to get rid of it. Because while we're eating it every day, the body is in this protection mode, this sort of, oh, I got to hold on to this. I got to get this out of the way. I got to get this out of the blood. The kidneys are, can't handle it right now. I got to hold on to it. 
And of course, that's a perpetuating cycle because it's causing tissue damage and a tissue damage causes accumulation. So the more oxalate in the bloodstream, the more tissue damage and the more accumulation can occur in various tissues, including degeneration of capillary beds and serious damage to vision and the senses and your bones and bone marrow. It, it can get over years, it can become quite serious. But really all it looks like is dementia, arthritis, bad bones, osteopenia, osteoporosis, all the things we think of as aging, this is what oxalate's doing. So a lot of what we accept as natural aging, I'm convinced after years of reading the literature, is really because modern diets are so high in peanut butter, whole wheat bread, potatoes and potato chips. And now we're throwing more spinach, more rhubarb, more of these like superfoods at it which are truly toxic. And yet we have this lore that plants are not toxic. They're benign. They're so good for you. There's never too much of them. There is too much of them, especially these plants that happen to be high in oxalate. Now, plants have other toxins too. Just because it has no oxalate doesn't mean it's a non-toxic food. There's thousands of chemicals. So fluorophanes aren't really all that good for us either. And saponins and these other compounds phytates, lectins, but the one that you really, that's so commonly overeaten, so commonly ignored, and so profoundly affecting our cells and body functions is really the oxalic acid. That brings us to the end of this episode of Holistic Healing with Lori. I want to say a huge thank you to Sally Norton for all of her invaluable insights on oxalates. And really, it's conversations like these that help us to make informed choices about our health. If you found this episode enlightening and you want to watch the full interview, head over to longcovidsummit.com or mecfssummit.com. It's both the same site. Also, make sure to subscribe and to share with a friend.